Well, good morning, West Bowles Community Church. How's everyone doing? Good, good to see you guys. Hi, guys. It's good to see you. Thanks for waving. Um, thank you for joining us on this Labor Day weekend. My name is David Perez. I'm the youth director here at the church, and it's so good to see you all here this morning. Uh, it is an absolute honor uh, to get to share a life verse with you today. So I just want to pray, and then we'll, we'll hop right into the sermon. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for this opportunity to get together uh, as a church family, Lord. Lord Jesus, I just pray this morning that you speak through me. Um, Lord, that, that I may only say what you want me to say. I pray that you open hearts to your scripture, to your word, to your gospel truth. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, can we just give the worship team one more hand real quick? You guys, oh man. I, that last song, powerful, powerful, powerful. Thank you. Uh, well, how many of you guys have taken Spanish? Like a Spanish class? There you go. Thank you. Yes. All right, show of hands, most of us in here. Okay, so this morning, we're going to go back to Spanish class for a quick minute, okay? So don't worry, I, I can see some of the PTSD in your eyes. Um, it's not going to be that hard, that difficult, okay? Just something simple, all right? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say a word in English, and I'm going to ask you how you say that word in Spanish, okay? You can shout it out. You don't have to raise your hand. You can scream it. You can whisper it to your neighbor, wherever you want, okay? They're going to be easy words, I promise, right? So... Um, how do you say the word water in Spanish? Agua. There it is. That's right. Good job. Agua. Great. Perfect. Okay. Um, how do you say the word food in Spanish? Comida. Comida. Good. Perfect. Man, A plus over here. A plus. The rest of you guys, I'm a little worried. Okay. No. So comida. Last one. Okay. Last one. How do you say the word bathroom? El baño, baño, good job, all right? So, um, see, that was easy. That was a piece of cake, all right? So, um, you guys are now officially, officially, okay, literate in Spanish, okay? All right? So, um, you passed the test, it was easy. But the reason I asked you those three words was because, let's say you were to go to Mexico, okay, you could survive with those three words, right? So, food, water, bathroom, okay? You might not have a great time, might be hard, but you could survive, okay? So now that we know you could survive, you could make it in Mexico, let's say you and I take a trip down there, okay? You and I, you and me, we go down there, we go to Mexico, we land, everything's great, we start walking through town, we're in the middle of the city, and um, we're walking and we're trying to find a place to eat, and you're doing this, okay? You're on your phone, walking through town, trying to figure out where we're going. You're not paying attention to what's happening in front of you. And as you keep walking, there's this sweet little old lady just walking, okay? You're not paying attention, and you run her over, okay? You knock her down, okay? She's flat laying flat on the ground. You knock her down. You look up, and you are mortified, okay? And not only are you mortified, but you're, you're embarrassed, right? You're a little embarrassed. Wouldn't you be a little embarrassed if that happened? Yeah, because the whole town just saw what happened, okay? So, again, you're an expert in Spanish now, okay? We've, we've stamped it. You go, you help the sweet old lady up, and you want to say, I am so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so embarrassed, okay? So you start off, and you go, you know, how do you say I'm sorry? Do you guys know? There it is. Good. So you say, lo siento, right? And then you're filing through your brain all, your, all the lessons, all the words you forgot in Spanish. You're panicking, and you're trying to say, I'm so embarrassed, and it's like a lightning bolt hits you. You get the light bulb moment, and you're like, I remember the word for embarrassed. So you look at her in the eyes and say, lo siento, estoy embarazada. Okay? Now, some of you, the, the ones that are laughing, you know what's coming. Here's what you just told that sweet old lady. 
I'm sorry, I'm pregnant. Okay? Now, if you're a guy and you're on this trip with me, this lady is thoroughly confused. Okay? One, she's going, you're a guy, you can't be pregnant. And two, how is that any excuse for knocking me over? Okay? That doesn't make sense. Okay? Now, if you're a woman and you're on this trip with me, uh, she probably hears you say that and, and might get a little excited. Okay? So she might light up and give you a hug and congratulate you, and she might actually apologize to you for knocking her over. So now you're the one that's confused because you're going, wait, why is this lady apologizing to me for knocking her over? Now, it's a simple little word, right? It's, it, that, that word is, is, is probably something you learned in Spanish. It's, it's one of the basics, okay, of Spanish. But here's what happened there. There was, there was a misunderstanding, a, a small misunderstanding of something very simple. And that small misunderstanding of that simple concept caused a whole lot of confusion, right? It changed the entire situation, didn't it? Well, that's something that's true in life. It's oftentimes in life the simple things, the, the basics that we learn young, that we either tend to forget and put up on a shelf, or that as time goes on, because we don't revisit the basics, because we don't pay attention to them, because we think we've got it mastered and down, that over time we slowly begin to misunderstand. And it's not so much we misunderstand in what we know what's being said, but more so we misunderstand it in the way we live that out. And, and the same is actually true of our faith as well, specifically of John three sixteen through 17. I mean, that's a verse a lot of us know, right? I would, in fact, I would wager to bet um, almost everyone here this morning and online knows those verses. It's probably one of the verses that you learned as a child, and it might have even been the very first memory verse you ever memorized. And so what can happen is it's a basic verse. We've learned it. I know what's being said. It can get easy for us to put it on the shelf, to let it collect dust. And as time goes on, it can get easy for us to misunderstand that verse. Not so much in, again, knowing what it says, but misunderstand it in the way that we live it out or maybe don't live it out. We can misunderstand it in, in the conversations we have in our head about ourselves and about others. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're talking John three sixteen through 17, and I would, I would challenge you all. I know it's tempting because, again, we've heard this verse before. I know it's tempting to hit the off switch, especially on Labor Day weekend. Right? We're looking forward. We've got the day off work tomorrow. Boop, I can just check out. I want to challenge you guys to not hit that off switch this morning. Because we're going to look at this verse in a new light and hopefully refresh and remember and understand again, have a revelation as to what is being said here. Now, in order to do that, we actually have to read the verses before it. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John 3. John 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. All right, John 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. It says here, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now we're going to pause right there real quickly. Right away, right off the bat, we learn something about Nicodemus right here in these passages. Right? One, right, we see that he's a Pharisee, and he's a member of the ruling council in the area. So right there, that's a big clue as to who Nicodemus is. Now, Pharisees, they were very well educated, very well read. So Nicodemus, he knew God's word inside and outside. He had it memorized. 
front and back. He could recite it in his sleep. Right, if, if Nicodemus were around here now, he probably would have John 3, 16 through 17 memorized. In fact, not probably. He would. He would have that memorized. So he knows God's word. He spends a lot of time in God's word as a Pharisee, as someone who's a, a member of the ruling council. So he, he's got a relationship with God. And not only that, but the Pharisees followed the law to a T, to the letter. So this is a man who is very obedient to God's word. You see, sometimes the Pharisees, in fact, not sometimes, they, they get a really bad rap, and rightfully so when we meet Nicodemus at this point in time. But originally, this, this movement of the Pharisees was actually a very good movement. There was a point in time well before this where Israel was falling away from God, not following his word, not obeying him. And so there was this movement of men who said, hey, you know what? No, 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 we need to get back to our roots. We need to get back to the basics, to reading God's word, to knowing God's word, and to following what it says. And so that's how that movement started. The Pharisees started off in a really good place. But what ended up happening, and this is where we meet Nicodemus, is that they missed out on the heart of the law. They, they misunderstood the mission of it. Why, why God is saying what he's saying. And so here's where we meet Nicodemus. He's educated. He reads a lot. He knows God. He knows his word. And he follows it. And so that's where, where we encounter him. So Jesus continues. So Nicodemus says those things about him, right? He calls Jesus a teacher. Notice that he says Jesus is a teacher. He doesn't say he's anything more. And Jesus responds. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one, can, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So here we have this back and forth between Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus completely misunderstands the message, completely misunderstands what Jesus is saying. And if there's anyone, any group of people who should have seen the Messiah coming, who should have recognized God in the flesh right before their very eyes in front of them, should have been Nicodemus. should have been the, the Pharisees. It should have been the people who were closest to God, who knew his word. Yet Nicodemus completely misses the message. He completely misunderstands who Jesus is. 
He completely misunderstands why Jesus is here. And so we see Nicodemus misunderstanding. And what do we see Jesus doing? Revealing. We see Jesus revealing what he's going to do, why he's here, what his purpose is, who he is. And so there's this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and we're going to kind of start a little backwards here. We're going to start with the main point and then go from there. And, and we can be just like Nicodemus if we're not careful. If we misunderstand the message of the gospel, then we misunderstand his purpose. We misunderstand the mission. If, if we misunderstand what Jesus is saying, what the gospel truly is, we're going to misunderstand why Jesus came and his mission, the purpose for everything. And that's exactly what Nicodemus did. Misunderstood what Jesus was saying, so he couldn't get why he was here. So that's what we're going to do this morning. As we look at John three sixteen through 17, we're going to look at three ways that we misunderstand this passage. And again, I'm not saying that we don't know what it says, or that we don't know, yeah, I know for God so loved the world, right, you could say it. You understand that part of it, but... I think there's three ways that as we live life out, maybe even in our heads, that we misunderstand this passage. So the first one, the first misunderstanding we have is that we misunderstand God's view of us. We misunderstand God's view of us. So I want to read 316. We're going to go chunk by chunk. 316 says this. For God so loved. For God so loved. You see, notice the gospel message starts with love. Right there. Love. Nothing before it, nothing after it. It starts with love. And Amy, I loved what you shared. It was crazy. God works in mysterious ways, wonderful ways. I don't know about you, but maybe this is, maybe this is just a me thing because I'm, I'm imperfect. I know the rest of you are perfect in here. But when I sin... When I make a mistake, when I reflect on my past and the things that I've done, all the wrong, I don't think God views me with the lens of love. I don't see for God so loved. My view of how God sees me is a view of disappointment, frustration, anger. kind of more so putting up with me. What I begin to convince myself of is that God has to love me. That, that it's just something he has to do. He's forced to because he's God. He's forced to. But that's not what we read in the passage, is it? No. You see, the magnitude of what Christ did, his death on the cross, was not something he had to do. He did not do it out of obligation. Jesus Christ chose, he chose to go to the cross for us. See, God already knew. He already saw all my mistakes. He knew what I was going to do. He knew my blunders, my shortcomings, my failures. He knew yours, your shortcomings, your failures, your blunders, how you might not live this out perfectly. 
Oh man, maybe after 20 some years of being a Christian, you still don't have it all together. You still don't have it figured out. He saw all that and he chose the cross. You see, God doesn't have to love us. It's not a force of habit. It's not something he has to do. It's a choice. He chooses love. He chooses to love you day in and day out, willingly. But sometimes we can let shame take the wheel. Sometimes we can let guilt take the wheel. And that begins to color how we think God views us. But the lens through which God, the lens through which Christ looks at us is the lens of love for God so loved, willingly chose to love unconditionally, unconditionally, in spite of anything and everything, chose to love. See, that's how he sees you. That's how he sees you. That's how he sees me. But we've misunderstood that. We think God's forced to, but he doesn't. He chooses so that's misunderstanding number one. If, you, if you've got the sermon notes, that's your first blank right there. Right? We misunderstand God's view. The second thing is we misunderstand who God loves. We misunderstand who God loves. So we continue here in this passage. It says this, For God so loved the world. So loved the world. That means the broken, sinful messy, getting worse by the minute world. I don't know about you, but I turn on the news. I listen to the radio. I like NPR. Love it. It's a great radio station. But as I, as I turn the radio on, it seems like every day there's something new that's going wrong, isn't there? It seems like things in this world are getting worse and worse and worse. We hear famine, water shortages, wars, even within our own country, right? We've, I feel like we've got this just massive division in our country right now. Everyone's fighting everyone. Everyone's upset. Everyone's angry. It's choose a side. And if you're not on my side, then get away from me. Don't ever talk to me. It seems like day after day after day, things get bleaker. It seems like this sinful world, the world that was already sinful, is getting more and more sinful doesn't it? And so what we can begin to do is we can look at that world and go, oh, that's my enemy. That's my enemy. It can get easy for us to go, oof, you know what? They deserve what's coming for them. The wrath, they deserve it. Yet notice, notice right here in the scripture who it says God loves. For God so loved the world. You see, it's, it's the world out there that's falling apart. That sinful, evil world that we oftentimes view as the enemy. That we often feel like maybe as Christians we have to battle against. 
That world is full of people that Jesus desperately, desperately wants to know. That he wants to love. You see, he died for all sin so that we might have the opportunity, so that we might be able to be in relationship with him. But unfortunately, sometimes we are hardened to the truth that God loves even the most wretched of sinners. And it is the people out there that are probably the worst offenders, the ones who we look at and see we need to fight against. Those are the people that are in most need of the gospel, aren't they? Those are the people that are in most need of the good news that God so loved. Those are the people who are most need of the truth that they can't be perfect, that neighbor that they never could. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus hung on a cross. So that they could know God for an eternity. He wants to reconcile the world to him. Now please don't hear me as saying God looks down on the sin and the evil of the world and is okay with it. No. We know that there comes a day and an age where Jesus is going to return and he's going to do away with all sin, with all evil, with all that's wrong in this world, with pain, with suffering. He's going to come back and he's going to reconcile all of us back to him. That's what he's going to do. But we have to remember he loves the wretch. He died for the sinner, for the worst of us. He desires a relationship with them. Sometimes we kind of think, don't know. You know what? That guy's too sinful. That guy's done too much. He's, he's actively fighting against God. He, nope. He can't get in. Jesus didn't die for their sin. He did. So we misunderstand his view of us, which is love. We misunderstand that he loves the world, the worst of us. He died for. He wants to know. And then there's one more misunderstanding. We misunderstand the requirements, and this ties closely to this last chunk right here. So let's continue on, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Sometimes we can overcomplicate salvation, can't we? We begin to think that there's a list of requirements or that there is a certain standard of good that we have to attain or reach or that someone else has to attain or reach before they can be saved. Sometimes we can believe that says that whoever gets their life somewhat together. Whoever gets their life together enough to walk into this building without being looked at and believes. But that's not what it says, does it? No. You see, the gospel message is simple. It's whoever believes. You see, belief has to come before behavior. We believe first. We come to know Jesus. We, we realize and we go, Lord, I'm, 
I am a sinner in need of grace. I believe in who you are and what you did and the truth of the gospel message that you died for me and through you I am saved. And once we believe, then God begins to do the good work in our hearts. It is then that he begins to change us and mold us and make us more like him. But we have to believe first. Unfortunately, sometimes we get that backwards. We tend to think, like I said, we've got to get our life somewhat together. I've got to, I've got to clean myself up for Jesus. And then I can go to him. And church, unfortunately, not, not as West Bowles, but as a larger church, that has been the message that the world has perceived for quite a long time now. I ran into a guy at a supermarket a few years ago. And uh, if you know me, I, I like to talk. Okay? My poor wife, I go to the store, I say I'm going to be back in 10 minutes, and it's a half hour later because I get in conversation or I make a new friend. Okay? So I get to talking with this guy at the checkout stand, and we're just talking. And, and he asks, what, what do you do for work? You know, it's a very natural thing. I said, oh, yeah, I'm a, you know, I'm a youth director at a church, and, uh, and I've been there for, you know, seven or eight years. And, and he, he kind of shakes his head, and he goes, oh, man, um, yeah. And so I said, why don't you, you should come to church on a Sunday morning. We'd love to have you there. You know, services at 10 o'clock, we're the big white church. I give him the whole spiel, you know. And he goes, yeah, you know, I would, uh, I'd love to come, but I think if I step foot in the door, um, I would light on fire. And, uh, yeah, and you know what? I'm, I've, I've done so many things that not only would I light on fire, but I think I, think I would light the whole church on fire, All right? And so, yeah, it's kind of, we, we, we giggle at that, right? But you know what he was saying? In that moment, my heart broke for that man, because the message he's received is that if I'm going to know Jesus, if I'm going to have any chance at salvation, I have to clean myself up first. I, I have to figure it out. And then I can encounter Jesus. But that's not the gospel message, is it? No, the gospel message is that we are already imperfect, that not a single one of us on our best day can meet the qualifications and the requirements to get to heaven. That's the gospel truth, and that's why Jesus Christ came to earth, right? He lived a perfect life. Died on a cross, took our place. Graham, like you said, he died on the cross. He took our place and rose again. That's not a standard any of us could attain, yet unfortunately, that's the opposite message that everyone else gets out there sometimes. They think, I've got to be good enough. I don't know what that standard is. Goodness gracious, good enough. I, I'm not going to reach that standard. No. It's believe. Belief, it's faith first. And then he begins to, over time, for the rest of our lives, Amy, just like you said, for the rest of our lives, he begins to work in our hearts. It's this beautiful process of sanctification. I know from the first moment I came to know Jesus to my dying day, there is more than enough work for him to do in this heart of mine. And I know he's going to continue to work in my heart. He's going to continue to make me more like him. Now, it's not just the outside world there that kind of flips this message, though, is it? 
If I'm being honest, I flip this message. I think I've got to clean myself up before I go see Jesus sometimes. I can't tell you the amount of times in my life where I've, I've sinned, I've messed up, I've made a mistake or several mistakes. And the process that goes through my head is, okay, I need, I need to fix this. I need to fix my own sin. I need to figure this out before I go pray. I need to have some distance and some time from that mistake I made before I can approach God. That's that same message. That's that same, I've got to fix my behavior before I can go to the Father. But that's not the gospel truth, is it? No. We're to go to him right away. We can approach him because of Jesus and his death on the cross. We have peace with God. We have relationship with him. He has forgiven our sin, all of it, once and for all. It's forgiven. Yet we buy into that same trap. I need to get right first. I need to act good enough. Maybe I need to sin a little less, and, and, and then I can pray again. And then I can read my Bible again. Then I can come back to church again. But that's not the truth. You see, so maybe, maybe we read John 3.16, and yes, we, we hear it. We know it. But again, I think over time we've come to misunderstand it in our thinking and maybe in our actions. For, it's for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It is love for the whole world and belief. That's the message. So now that we've got some clarity on the message, why did Jesus come? Well, you know that too, but let's read it anyways. 17. So I, I love, I love what, what John says in this next one. It's a, it's a beautiful summation of what he just said in 16. He says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Sorry, I lost my place but to save the world through him. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And this is your last blank on your note sheet if you're with us. Jesus did not come for condemnation, but for salvation. He was already the standard. He did not come to further condemn. He came to save the world through him. In Christ, there is no longer any condemnation. We're saved. We're reconciled. We're made right with God. That was his mission. Salvation. Salvation for you and for me. Now, I know this is a simple verse. Basic. It's one of the basics of the faith. But church, my life would look so different. My life would not be the same if it wasn't for John 3, 16 through 17. Everything we believe to be true is based on the truth in that passage. On Christ and Christ crucified. I remember the first time I ever heard that verse, third grade, old church we went to kids church pastor taught on this verse 
And that was the first time I encountered Jesus. That was the first time I heard the gospel message, the good news that Jesus died for me because he loves me more than anything. And my life from that moment on has not been the same. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. But I've been reconciled. I've been made new. I have peace with the Father. Because of John three sixteen through 17, I can stand up here before you right now and teach the gospel. I can tell you the good news of Jesus Christ for all of us, for all the world. I would not be the same person right here, right now, if it wasn't for that verse, for those two verses right there, those two basic, elementary, easy to forget, easy to tuck away, easy to go, yeah, God loves everyone else, but not me. You don't know what I've done wrong. You don't know how big it is. No. He loves you. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to know you. Oh, I don't even like to think where I'd be without it. Jesus Christ grabbed a hold of my heart, and I have never been the same. Church, my prayer is this for all of you. As you continue on through life, maybe you've been a Christian for a year. Maybe you've been a Christian for 50. Maybe more. My prayer is that no matter how far along we go in our faith, no matter what we learn, no matter what we do, no matter where life takes us, my prayer is that we continually and constantly come back to the truth of John three sixteen through 17. That Jesus died for you because he loves you more than anything. My prayer is that that truth continue to transform and make new your heart. That that gospel message never be something we move on from or like I told the youth, that we graduate from because it is the most powerful, awe-inspiring message to ever, ever encounter this earth is the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day and this time. Jesus, thank you for the good news of the gospel that you loved the world so much that you died for us, that you came not to condemn but to save. Lord Jesus, I pray that that simple truth, the simplicity, the beauty of the gospel never ever, ever leave our hearts. I pray that we continually come back to that truth and that we continually be transformed by the good news that, Jesus, you love us more than anything. You died for us, and now because of that, we are saved. We have peace. We have reconciliation. We have redemption with you. Lord, grab a hold of all of our hearts. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.